Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, this is Michael Waits from ATP Stories. I'm with Alvin Wong Graylin. Alvin is the regional president of HTC Vive Business. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michael. Thanks for uh, making time. Oh, thank you very much for making time. I mean, I think you're probably a little bit busier than I am. Do you want to run through a little bit? There are a few other things in which you're involved, just to give context and the depth of which you're involved sort of in the VR space. You want to just run through a few of those other things, and then we can talk about them in order after we cover some other things, if that's okay. Sure, sure. So um, in addition to my role with ACC and VARD, uh, I am also the vice chair for the IVRA. It's the uh, Industry uh, Virtual Reality Alliance uh, that's uh, co-founded by uh, us and also the Ministry of Information Industry, which is the uh, government entity in charge of managing uh, all electronics and, uh, and information industries. Uh, it's the only uh, government-recognized VR association alliance uh, in the country and has 300-plus uh, members from around the world, including uh, essentially every HMD vendor uh, in the world almost. Right, I saw that um, 300 is a lot of people to be involved in that in that entity, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 300 companies, not, yep. not people. Sorry, 300 but, entities, um, excuse me. Yes, um, but including Oculus and Sony and, you know, and uh, Samsung and whoever. So uh, as well as, you know, uh, NVIDIA and, and AMD and Intel and uh, Unity and Unreal and so forth. So um, it's it's essentially all the, the biggest players and, and also a lot of the smaller players. So we're, uh, you know, really excited that the entire industry kind of got behind us right. uh, in terms of having a, a, um, a body that can help create standards for the industry. Uh, and we've already released the first uh, HMD standard for China. Uh, we're working on the first content and, uh, and software standard as well. So this will help create more consistency between uh, user experiences in, in terms of better and faster development, more compatibility between devices and so forth, uh, as well as uh, ensuring higher quality for user experiences uh, for the customers themselves. Yeah, that's um, that's important. Very important, right? Can I ask you a question just before you move on from there? Sure, sure, sure. So one of the things that I was going to ask you about was sort of industry fragmentation, but you've addressed that sort of immediately with this concept of the standardization of both on the hardware side and on the software and content side. Yes. With that as a theme, do you think going forward you'll see the same type of consolidation over time? that maybe you saw in the PC industry itself as people consolidated around sort of software and hardware standards there as well? Yeah, I, I think in, in every industry when it first starts, there's always going to be fragmentation until you know people figure out who are going to be the, the general platform winners and then everybody will uh, gather around the, the camps that they want to. Right now, uh, you know, and it, with every industry, there's usually you know two or three major players, and and that's kind of where it probably will end up as well in in this industry. There, there are already kind of three major players in the VR space, uh, which are us and Oculus and uh, and Sony. Um, but uh, you know the the content and, and hardware. There's probably I think the last time my guys uh, counted them, we had about 600 players in China making HMDs today. Wow. So <laughs> there's there's a, there's a lot of players who are, who are you know trying to either enter or you know play a small part of it, or you know they're creating something that's just a a, a cardboard box or a plastic box. Right. But there there are, there are definitely a lot of players that are in this space. 
Um, you know, and I think it's a little bit less fragmented in uh, the Western markets. Um, but, you know, this is not very different than, remember, a few years ago when uh, Groupon came out. And in China, there was, uh, I think, at one point, 4,000 Groupon clones. <laughs> and, 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 and the scary thing was, that I think, six or seven of them had received venture funding for over $100 million Dollars. each. Yeah. Yes, I was. Yes. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was actually going to be the example that I used, and I was going to sort of say what you said as well in the case that in China everything happens at such a scale that's very different from the way it occurs in the West, right? So if there are three players in the United States and four of them in Europe, there are going to be a thousand of them or more in China. Yeah, but uh, but I mean, over okay. time that 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 thousand will come back down to Absolutely. probably five five or six, and you know, everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you also work with the um, <clears throat> Virtual Reality Venture Capital Alliance as well. Do you want to talk about that a little bit too, or, or is that not the case? Sure, anymore? sure. Um, no, no. I am uh, still the, the president of the VRVCA. It's the uh, the only cross-industry VR alliance uh, where uh, we have about 49 of the largest uh, VCs in the world who are investing in uh, VR, AR, AI space. Um, and all of these are active investors that have done deals in the space. There's an aggregate amount of over $18 billion of investable capital uh, that has been allocated specifically for VR and AR. Uh, we do meetings every two to three months, uh, you know, alternating between Beijing and, uh, and San Francisco. And uh, we, you know, for every time we have these meetings, we'll, we'll bring in somewhere between 10 and 15 companies and about a thousand companies applied for that, for that, uh, for sure. those slots. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and it's, it's, uh, I think it's the first time in the VC industry where that many players have gotten together for a common cause and are actually sharing resources versus competing with each other to find the best deals. So that's uh, something quite exciting. Yeah, I mean, I think now that the sort of VR, AR, AI space has been identified as a viable platform going forward, I mean, it's something that's been talked about for a decade or more, maybe more than that, right? Um, yes. But now that it's been identified as a viable platform going forward, it seems to me that cooperation is probably the better way to approach investment in this space, particularly because I think, as you would agree, the VR and AR and the AI stuff is going to literally impact every aspect of our lives, I think. And we can go through each uh, one of them, but I think it will. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I tell that to uh, almost everybody I meet. And it, you know, at first they're like, what? And then they're like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth. Wow. But, uh, okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it it will replace every screen that we use today, and then, sure. you know, essentially any any place you see a screen, or essentially even a pane of glass, uh, if that can be replaced by VR, it can probably do a better job than whatever is there today, right? Um, so so it, it will impact every industry and every part of our our daily lives, work, and play in school, right? So it's uh, it, it is going to be the main interface between people with each other and people with machines for the foreseeable future. Right. And again, I think that's one of the reasons why that the venture capital community as a whole, but also other communities are sort of rallying around this in a cooperative stance as opposed to in a competitive stance, because it literally, in other words, you can't invest in everything and there's people yep. just cooperating. It's, it's better for everybody, I think. Yeah, although I think there's still it's still a little counter nature for them because uh, sure. VCs are, are, are generally not cooperative animals. Um, <laughs> they're mean, horrible but, but, people. But, no, I'm just kidding. Well, no. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. no, they're they're, they're, they're good people, but they're capitalists, right? That's Correct. that's their 
that's their title. So they, they want to make money in for themselves more than anybody else or for their, their investors, I guess, or their LPs and GPs. Fair enough. Um, but, but you know, I, I think what you said was also quite important is that because this, this industry is so big and it's going to impact so many things, there are so many opportunities out there, right? Essentially, every... Every problem that's been solved, you know, on the online space or the mobile space, are going to be, need to be resolved again in VR. Right. And so, you know, there's going to be a, a lot of new players that are going to come into this market over the next five, ten years. And, you know, if uh, if you can pick the right guys now, you know, they will be the the Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks of the future. So, right. yeah. And the Ali's and the and the Baidu's and the Tencent's. <laughs> so I want to exactly. And, and and again, we've seen over time, right, that platform companies um, iterate over time, but they also get eliminated over time. I was looking at a statistic recently that um, if you look at the the Fortune 500, a lot of those companies in the past 15 years have actually, or last 18 years, I can't remember exactly, but have been eliminated over time and have been replaced with some of the newer companies, Google being one of them. Mm-hmm. But, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you an example and tell me what you think about virtual reality in the context of one of my favorite topics, which is autonomous vehicles. And you notice that mm-hmm. I didn't say autonomous cars. Sure. Because I think there's a I think there's a pedantic difference, but I think there's a secular change in the way people are looking at vehicles. But and I also think it combines some of the things that you just mentioned. So I'd love your opinion on this. Sure. I have a vehicle that has screens in it, right? Because it will have windows. Uh-huh. And sure. Let's just say it's a an ambulance. Right, but it's autonomous, mm-hmm. so it can go pick somebody okay. up, and it has doctors or nurses or EMT people in it. Every single one of those screens now can be a virtual reality screen that can allow doctors or medical providers globally, because it will be connected. And this is just one example, right, mm-hmm. to be able to help or perform some sort of activity inside that vehicle, whether it's moving or not, right? And actually, nobody needs to be driving it, right, because it's autonomous. So on the way Mm -hmm. to, let's say, a hospital or a clinic or Mm -hmm. to other more experienced doctors, you can get the full scope of medical technology at your fingertips just on the screens that are in that vehicle. That's just one example of medical virtual reality. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's your like? Can you just give me some other examples? B- gaming aside, right? Because I think gaming is the place where that people think about mostly when they think about virtual reality. But can you give me some other examples where you think this is really going to impact people's day to day lives? Sure, sure. I mean, I, I guess actually, what what you just mentioned in terms of um, essentially replacing some of the screens in the car, um, that may or may not be kind of the the traditional view of virtual reality. Uh, I For think sure. it, it may be kind, kind of a, a more of a, a cross of, of just uh, maybe maybe you can call it augmented reality. Maybe it's essentially a a more natural interface model for, for, for content. But if you're using the, the physical windows themselves, these screens, then it's probably not VR, uh, where VR is really more about uh, kind of putting something directly in your eyes or, or on your head and, and on your body, and, and it's not connected to outside part, outside areas. Now, there, there has been things called caves that's been used in the design space. Right, which is why I mentioned uh, that. Where, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is kind of a room that yeah, that follows you. And I guess, I mean, taking it, taking that, that and extending it to a vehicle kind of makes sense. But uh, I, I would think that the you know there are definitely a lot, uh, more cost-efficient ways to achieve some of the things that you're talking about, where there are now actually people, you know, doing remote surgeries. Right. 
and you know, in in VR, they're they're controlling a a, a surgical robot, right? In, in in which case, you know, the surgeon could be across the world, or or it could be a natural, uh, you know, an autonomous robot doing the surgery. Absolutely. Um, uh, and and some of those robots actually do a better job than humans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, but but I, I think that definitely in the medical space is, is an area where where VR is, is being applied already today, and not just in in surgery, but also in uh, mental health. You know, people who are coming right. back from right. post traumatic stress from wars, or they've had some very stressful uh, you know incidences. Uh, people are afraid of heights. People are afraid of of bugs. You know, you can solve most of these issues in VR with no side effects, with no medication. No medication, right? That's key, I think. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and that's the same for for uh, you know uh, killing pain, right? I mean, Painkillers is is one of the most addictive things out there, and you know it's a multi. I think it's like more than a ten or twenty billion dollar business a year in the U.S. alone. Easily. So, yeah, if uh, if people can relieve pain using VR without addictive drugs, that's probably a good thing. And and it's already been you know dozens of years actually of of uh, research showing that that's very viable. Um, and just recently, there was actually a, a study in, uh, at uh, Stanford University where they showed people with chronic pain can be cured, not just through distraction therapy, but actually be cured on a long-term basis um, by re- rewiring your your nerves and, the, right. and allowing the plasticity of your own brains to do a lot of the work. So Correct. what they did was they allow people with, let's say, pain in their left arm where they can't raise it, and but their right arm is normal then you use both your arms to play a game or to you know make an art piece and you see in your eyes the left arm moving although it may or may not actually be moving but your brain by seeing that says hey something's wrong you know i i see my arm moving but i don't feel any pain i guess maybe the pains that i've been feeling have been wrong so let me find a better nerve and and after a few sessions the the, nerve, the the pain in their left arm disappears, and now both their arms are actively moving around without any issues, right? And so that's right. it's kind of the the magic of healing, of self healing that uh, we can apply uh, to ourselves if we use these kind of, of uh, technologies. Um, you know, and we we talked about earlier design. I mean, there there are the, the biggest car companies and airplane companies and, and construction and design companies in the world are using VR today. To uh, to design their their future vehicles, the future rockets, and you know the the future buildings, and they are doing it much more efficiently. They can they can complete projects in you know half the time or less. So um, well, that that's actually exciting. Yeah, I mean the idea that engineers from General Electric can redesign engine systems, but also be sitting inside the engine systems themselves while they're designing and redesigning them is really powerful, right? And the virtual reality actually allows that to happen across multiple sectors. You can see applications for it, like you said, in building design, in air conditioning ducts. I mean, in so many Mm. different ways, you can see this is useful. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, one is in terms of being able to you know to to see it from inside or from different perspectives. The other thing is to be able to have multiple people share their opinions on things. At the in same the past, time, you yeah. Had, yeah, at the same time, and you can do real time changes, and because design reviews is actually one of the most time consuming t- uh, parts of any of these physical product designs, and you have to make you know make different prototypes and different materials and, and then have people look at it after it comes back and they make a change in color, they send it out for another few weeks and you know it's just those kind of things can completely be removed and you don't have to get people to travel 
to do any of these things. Right? So overall, it just it just uh, uh, immense savings in time and effort and cost. Right? Um, so, but uh, you know, we we can talk about uh, education. Please. You know, just 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 two weeks ago, I, I was in Ningxia, and uh, it's a north. Uh, northwestern section of China where most people have never gone to, um, but, but we we I've we, we ins- you have okay. Well, in, in 1991, I I was in the northwestern China for about a week, so yeah. Ah, well, see, you're you're uh, you know a real uh, a China uh, kind of old old uh, old hand OG. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there, there, there aren't very many of you. There aren't very very many of me left at, in any place for yeah. sure, but yeah. Yes, but um, but you know we we installed the first fifty student VR classroom uh, in in uh, in this little city called Xi Jixi in Ningxia, and it's a it's a little town of I think six hundred thousand people. Over there, it's a very little town. Fair enough. Yeah, but um, you know the fact that they have essentially the world's first you know large scale VR classroom where the teacher in the front can interact with all fifty students in real time in VR. The students can see each other, you know they can you know learn different skill sets and be managed by the teacher and guided by you know him or her. Uh, that's you know pretty exciting. It allows them to essentially have the same level of technology that any classroom, whether you're talking about you know in Beijing or Shanghai or in Silicon Valley. Right, maybe even more so than some of these areas right now. So that 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 brings kind of the uh, democratization of education. Right, that's because one of my favorite words, by the way. <laughs> no, no but I mean that very seriously in the sense that not in the political sense, but just in the real meaning of the term democratization. Right, in other words, the yes. access of that type of information and education to everybody mm-hmm. is really what is being harnessed by the power of virtual reality in that in that sense. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, 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 you know, in that sense, it's more about the democratization of technology. But I think what's more important is actually the democratization of access to really good teachers and really good content. Absolutely. Right? Well, because well, one you, of the, you, run, yeah. you lose the, the problem of proximity. Yes, yes. So you, you could be essentially anywhere in the world and you could have access to the best teachers in the world. Right? We're, we're right now working with, a, with a MIT to install uh, 360 um, uh, cameras into some of their classrooms so that the best teachers in the world, these Nobel Prize winning professors, anybody with a headset, put it on and you're in the front seat, you know, front row listening to a lecture from a, a Nobel Prize winner, right? I mean, not many, many people get access to that. So that that's the kind of thing that I, I think, you know, VR can can do for, for society in general That that is super exciting because it, it allows... You know, people who who never had a chance now to to have access to the best education. And if you have the best education, you're going to have the best opportunity in your future life and career. And that's you know, the people have proven over and over again, right? Right. I mean, and then, go ahead. Yeah, and then what's even more exciting is that it allows people to learn with their full brain, with their full body. Uh, where you know today, uh, our classes and and design of our of our uh, uh, curriculum and our, our teaching methods really are saying, hey, it's designed for somebody who can hear something or read something and then visualize it uh, in their head. Uh, and, and only maybe a third of people can, can do that well, right? right. Which, which is why you have the separation of, of A, B, C, and you know, D and E students, because it's not about they're not smart. Actually, everybody you know, yeah. uh, on earth today is smarter than the best supercomputers we have. Right, right. So it's it's just that we're not teaching them properly. Now, here, here's a, a you know a piece of data that kind of proves it is we 
We took uh, a cross-section of 50 kids from Beijing, broken up into two groups. One group was studying in VR or you know, supplemented with VR. One group was studying with very traditional means. And uh, at the end of the, the, the course, we had them do a test. And the average test score uh, of this, uh, the uh, non-VR class was 73. The average test score of the VR class was 93. Right now, now we had already broken them down by you know A, B, and C students before, and they were pre-tested so that there was right. no so bias. You controlled, so, you controlled your yeah. bias, yeah. Yep. And uh, here's the most exciting part: is the worst student in the AR class outperformed the best student in the traditional class. <laughs> Sorry, right? I love that. Now, yeah. Now, but I mean, this this class is a, not a you know not a very easy class. Is astrophysics, which a lot of people don't necessarily you know easily handle. Right. But the fact that that now you can you can let essentially the worst students in the, in the prior classes be able to make you know super uh, you know good results on their test scores means that they're actually learning. Right. And people who used to be intimidated by math and physics and science now are just being, you know, just passionate about this tech, what, what this technology and what, what, uh, what things that they're learning about. Right. So one is that this technology makes them excited. Right. And as we know, anything that you're excited about, you're going to learn better. The other thing is anything that you can use your entire body to learn, your entire brain to learn, whether you're a visual learner, audio learner, or a tactile learner, you can, you can use all of those means of learning in your uh in vr right and so that brings you back to kind of when we were kids you know we we supposedly we learned more in the first five years of our lives than we do in the rest of our lives right now now you know those are the years where, where our language isn't great and we we don't know any math and science but somehow we learned a lot of information that really is helpful to us right because we we are using our every part of our body and our brain and to to access and, and process that information so that that's what you know. That's what VR allows us to to bring us back to is that that very natural way of learning. So how do you get out of a controlled environment? Meaning, you know, some students in a small town in northwest in in northwestern China, and some mm -hmm. students get separated into sort of test groups in Beijing. Yep. But how do you not ensure? But how do you try to give access to this type of technology? on a more wide-scale basis, right? I mean, I presume part well, of it is what yeah. VRVCA does, but also what Vive XVR probably does as well, right? Yep, yep. So so we actually have a uh, organization, a team uh, in, in my group called Vive EDU. And all they do all day is think about how to use VR in education and working with the top universities in the country to get this out there. Um, there's probably about uh, 20 universities now that have signed up with them to to install VR laboratories and VR classrooms around the country. Now that that uh, northeastern northwestern corner of China, within the next two months, they're going to install twenty of those classrooms. Wow. So you know that's that's going to be able to access each of these classrooms are servicing schools that are several two to three thousand kids. So you know you know that that the, these numbers of of accessibility is going to go up very very quickly. That's great. Now. Yeah, I mean we're we're working, you know, with schools actually around the around the country, working with the Ministry of Education from around different parts of the country to try to get them really involved. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, education is still a government managed, um, you know, industry, and uh, you need to make sure they buy in, right? So a lot of things that we're doing today is really creating the 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 the, the, the research studies that can show and prove the efficacy of this kind of learning. Right. And when that happens. 
uh, I think China is probably going to be one of the first countries in the world to adopt it in a wide way because uh, you know there, there's no, nothing more important to Chinese parents than, than their kids' education, as you, as you know. For sure. Um, on the development side, right, and I want to stay on the education topic because yeah. it's very uh-huh. important to me. But yeah. Are the developers ready for this? In other words, is the platform itself at a stage where it's mature enough to get developers on board to be able to create? Because education at its core is going to be content as well. It's going to be content specific too, right? In other words, you need people out there to program so that people can literally sit inside of you know uh, some sort of chemical molecules, right? Sure. Because sure. that's interesting from an educational standpoint as well. Yeah. The the the, the other exciting thing is actually that the content uh, industry, the, the developers in the world have actually really, uh, you know, kind of lined up behind education. What we found is that about 40% of developers in, in our current database of developers, uh, we have about 30,000 of them that are registered development firms with us. And about 40% of them are doing non-gaming development. And then of that, uh, about 40 to 50% are working on education. So about 20% so, in total, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's actually a very sizable number if you look at the total population of people who are working on this. Um, you know, I think people realize that the value of, of this for education because, you know, it, it, it is the best way to transfer information from, you know, uh, to, to a person. Right? Because it, it's it's using every every mean that you have possible to transfer that information. So that that essentially is learning. Right now, um, you know, we we even in our in our Vivex program, which um, I didn't mention earlier, but we we also run the largest uh, uh, virtual reality uh, incubator around the world. We have five locations in uh, Beijing, Shenzhen, Taipei, San Francisco, and Tel Aviv. And last year, we invested in sixty-seven companies. Uh, in about two or three weeks, we're going to announce another 30 or so companies that we've uh, invested in um, that are all focused on VR and AR and, and in some cases, AI, right? Yep. So so about probably 20% to 25% of those companies we invested in are also education-focused. Uh, awesome. So, yeah. So, so you know, we're, we, 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 we're putting our money where our mouth is, and, and uh, we're, we're actually quite excited in terms of what, uh, what content is coming out. And um, now it's, you know, also uh, with AR coming out recently with, uh, you know, some of the AR kit and AR core products, you know, we're, we're also finding ways to make AR and VR work together so that it allows people to get kind of that, that little taste of immersive learning or immersive experiences and then, you know, move on to a more immersive VR experience, uh, you know, using the same types of tools and, and interfaces. So um, that that's also something that's uh, quite exciting that's happened over the last, uh, you know, couple months. Right. And how do you see, this is something we talked about a little bit before, right? So I alluded to the screens in an automobile and you said that you didn't think that that was the right sort of user interface or metaphor for that type of immersive interaction. And that's fair Mm -hmm. enough, right? But do you think that over time, and I presume you were alluding to the fact that most people will wear some type of thing either directly over their eyes or what we have now, which is goggles. But those at some level are going to go away because yep. they're just so big, right? And I, sure. I think we both understand that. But how do you see that immersive interactive um, interface actually developing over time? 
I mean, uh, you know, I think like you're saying, it's it's uh, it's a little bit hefty and, and bulky today, but uh, over time it, it will get lighter. Over time, it will get closer and closer to what glasses are today, uh, and then over even a longer period of time, it'll get closer and closer to what contact contacts are. are. That's what I wanted to get right. there. Okay, so I'm glad yeah. you did. But. So, and then later on, they'll even get into you know, closer uh, something either embedded right. or something under the skin or something where you you just have a, a direct connection to the the uh, spinal cord or something right so so there there are now you know subdermal uh, BCI brain computer interface uh, type interfaces that will allow you to get very you know uh, I guess um, good signals uh, of what's going on in your brain uh, I think a lot of people are still very very hesitant to put anything underneath <laughs> their skin um, but you know so I think o- over time though that's going to become more and more natural and, and you know uh, it, it won't be something that we're too concerned about in, in the, probably another 20 years or so. But uh, in the meantime, there, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement between here and contact lenses, right? Uh, right. In, in fact, if you, you know, talking about contact lenses, kind of the a funny thing is, um, you know, a lot of people heard about the Google Glass project, but actually the guy who, who ran the Google Glass project, his research project, as a professor from uh, University of Washington, his research project was actually con- smart contact lenses. And so he, when he went to Google, he initially was thinking about doing contact lenses, but uh, because of either social or psychological right. stigma of, of that, uh, they actually went to do glasses instead. And even then, they were kind of a little bit ahead of the curve, and as you know, kind of how that sure. turned out. <laughs> but this is an interesting point you bring up, right? And I, I normally talk to people about this off rec- off the record because they'll think you're insane if you bring it up in this context, right? But I mean. You've already talked about the subdermal stuff, right? So underneath your skin, but think about underneath, you know, embedded in your eyes and embedded in your mm-hmm. ears as well. So sure. you wouldn't know, right, if you met me, whether I had something embedded in my eye, which mm-hmm. itself is, is a, obviously a sight-giving mechanism, but it's not a recording mechanism, right? But if that, mm-hmm. if that mechanism itself attached to both of my eyes creates a virtual reality around mm-hmm. me, and then I can record that when I see you, you're sure. talking about a massive societal change, right? It's yeah. both implicit and explicit as well. I'm just curious what your view on that is because that's, and again, in the context of what happened with Google Glass, which in and of itself was a you know a very difficult transition for people just thinking, am I always being recorded? And what type of information does the person wearing the glasses have about me? You're talking mm-hmm. about that writ large if you have embedded devices in your eyes that are so miniaturized that they can create virtual reality as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think these kind of problems or questions are, are can get very complicated and, and very hairy, and I don't know there's a... There isn't a solution. A, I'm just curious because... There is a solution. But no. but I, I think what we what we, will happen is that, you know, because we expect that that's going, these kind of things are going to happen, whether it's, it's glasses or contact lenses or something else, uh, more and more so we are going to have smart devices on, on our bodies at all times that are going to be monitoring either ourselves or people around us. And there probably just needs to be some clear protocols between these devices uh, with each other and with the people wearing them so that you know people know if you're wearing it and people know if you're recording and if you have permission to allow people to do it, then it's okay. And as long as you know everybody creates... You know, that's why you need this kind of cross-industry cooperation so that you can create 
the proper protocols for devices to talk to each other. Right? When we talk about this whole internet things, you know, these are the devices talking to each other so that they they know, okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to record, so I'm going to turn off now, right. or I'm not supposed to listen, so I'm not going to send that voice over to to Siri or whatever, right? So, um, I, I I think people make a bigger issue of this than than it needs to yeah uh, when it be, when it does become a problem people will find a way to solve it um we always have <laughs> uh you know i, I think uh, and then also technology that that aren't understood are always a little bit scary in the beginning um but at the end of the day you know if the value that it brings you is more than the value it takes away then uh you know over time it will get accepted yeah, and to be fair, I want to be clear about this. I wasn't making the case that these are problems, just that you know humans always find a way to adjust to changes, and sometimes those changes take place over time, so they're glacial, and sometimes they take place immediately. But I agree with you. I'm an optimist at heart, and I think that to the extent that it provides – education is just the best example, but it's only one of them, where it provides for like the democratization of information and of technology for people. It, that can only mm-hmm. be a good thing, not a bad thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and in fact, it can even help make us uh, better communicators with each other. Right? I'll, sure. I'll give you an example. If, if if I was a teacher and I was talking to these kids, and and I can get a little signal on top of them that's augmented on top of their heads that say, "Hey, this person is confused," right. or "This person understands this lesson," I know how much time I should spend with this child to make sure that they understand it and are getting the content that I'm trying to teach them. Right. Or, you know, if, if I'm doing an interview as a as a hiring manager and I'm asking this person, why did you, you know, why did you leave your job on your last job so quickly? And uh, by, you know, getting some signals from his uh, you know, brain or from his you know, heartbeat <laughs> or his blood pressure or whatever, I can get a sense of whether this person is telling the truth. It, it's probably going to make me a better hiring manager, right, if I hire the right person. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, of course, this could be used in, in you, know, uh, you know, the police uh, applications right. or other applications. But, <laughs> but, but in, in general, I mean, I think, you know, the more information you have, the better you can communicate. Right. And then, you know, if you're in a social context, you can definitely turn on and off whether you want people to see your heart rate or your other, you know, galvanic skin response or other information. Right. So, so yeah. So, what we can get to is actually to, to get to a a hyper personal communication, even exactly. on a remote basis. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that hyper personal is something that I really wanted to bring up as well, right? So, let's say your grandmother is in a small town in Nebraska, mm-hmm. and without visitors, you know, she gets depressed. Yeah. And she feels lonely yeah. and she feels alone. And yet I think studies have also been done that shows that human interaction is actually a life-giving event in the sense that people that are left alone in an old age home right, or in a convalescent home, sometimes they, their body deteriorates because they're emotionally um, experiencing discomfort. And yet if you can provide somebody with a virtual reality experience where you can actually visit them if there's mm-hmm. haptic-style response, and I'm sure haptics will improve yeah. as well, but any type of that human interaction, it's probably yeah. better for society as a whole anyway and definitely better for grandma. Oh, absolutely. And and there's going to be a, a lot of grandmas and great-grandmas and great-great-grandmas alive in the near future. For sure. Are, no, no, some, some, I'm kind Agreed. of serious. No, I agree completely. Yeah. Populations globally are aging, right? And they're staying alive and, and longer, so... And longer and longer, and with you know better health care and, and genetic medicine that's coming out, people are going to live to 150, right? That that's that's what a lot of uh, 
I guess futurists or or uh, you know <laughs> uh, experts in the industry are saying that within the next you know 30 40 years our our average age is going to increase by another 50 years and so you know that's that's going to mean a lot more people around and a lot more elderly people and you know a lot of these people aren't going to be able to go out and you know travel with their kids or their great 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 grandkids Right. So if, if you can you know, use VR to bring them with you on a holiday or on a trip or on a bike ride, you know, or to have that that, you know, uh, visit where you're just having you know, a face to face conversation and, and you can see and you know, feel and hear each other, that that kind of thing will definitely make people happier and more fulfilled. Right. I mean, there's been tons of study that shows any kind of contact, whether it's with a, a dog or a exactly. cat or exactly. uh, you know, a child will make you know, elderly people happier and live longer. So, um, you know, th- th- this, uh, this is all good. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we talked at the beginning about how it's going to impact every aspect of our lives. And I, I think about travel as well and tourism. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you've never, let's say you either don't have the resources or you don't have the time to just go see the Colosseum in Rome. Mm-hmm. Yes. But you'd really like to be able to do that. Even today you could probably do it, but with the advent of sort of better technology, higher resolution, better sort of surrounding feelings, you'll be able to experience mm-hmm. that as if you're really there. Yep. Right. And that type of sort of travel um, disintermediation, I think, is going to be really interesting as well. Yeah. In fact, it, you know, going back to the elderly on your on your bucket list, right? You know, there's mm-hmm. usually a mm-hmm. bunch of places you want to go to. And, uh, you know, what, what we're seeing also now is a lot of elderly homes are starting to, to experiment with letting their, you know, residents use VR. And uh, one of the things they want to do is to use it and, this. and, and, and uh, you know, go travel somewhere, go, go to where their childhood home was or go to, you know, where they haven't gone. And the expressions, the expressions and smiles you see on their faces, you know, it's just priceless. It is right? priceless. Yeah. So, and, and and you mentioned earlier about you know kind of democratization of experiences. I think that's also something that this yes. technology enables. Yes. That that uh, that not only you know creates equality between kind of you know the elderly and the young, but also between the rich and the poor. Correct. You know, so you know, there's a lot of people that want to go to the Maldives, but not many people can afford it. But now, you know, you can put on a headset and you can have that half hour or two hour virtual Maldives vacation, and and feel pretty good about it. You know, at least you'll you'll get a sense of what it feels like to be there. Uh, you may not be able to you know taste the uh, the cocktail on the beach, but you're you're close. You know, and uh, what we also found is that even for the average person, just to spend ten or fifteen minutes in a, a scenic environment in VR, it brings down their pulse rate, it brings down their heart pressure, it, it makes them more relaxed, and it takes that stress level down a big notch, right? And for a lot of white-collar workers who spend a lot of time underneath these fluorescent lights, uh, that's real value to them, right? So I, I, you know, I, I can definitely foresee a lot of companies spending some money, you know, having a little VR room for a kind of a break room for their, you know, for their staff so that they can, they can de-stress a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it does a great deal also. We talked about it a little bit with grandma as an example, but just bringing families together, but also bringing cultures together as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a big believer that humans have this thing that I like to call the other side of the mountain mentality. And that means that if people live on the other side of the mountain, by definition, they're an enemy, which, mm. is, which is bad. And yet, if you can go to the other side of the mountain physically, you can understand that they really just want to have food, education, and shelter. 
And VR can disintermediate some of that as well by exposing people to things, not just tourism, like going to the Eiffel Tower or going to the Coliseum Mm -hmm. or going to the Maltese, but also exposing them to variant cultures as well. And they can understand, you know, the origins of them, but also the development of them and see, like, it's not so scary anymore. The same thing you said before, right? New technology is scary, but new people can be scary as well because you just don't (laughs) understand them. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think many times VR has been called the the ultimate empathy engine, right? Because Fair enough. It, it allows you to take the perspective of somebody else and to to transport yourself amongst other people, and and it gives you empathy. And it's not just empathy for you know other people, but actually it could be for animals. It could be for even trees, right? There, yep. there was a a uh, an experience that was done at uh, Sundance this year, uh, made by a couple of uh, MIT grad students. Uh, in fact, I, I met with one of them when I was uh, in, uh, at the Media Lab a few months ago. And uh, what they did was create a simulation of a tree. And you essentially go from the the whole life cycle of a tree of a uh, seed being planted in the ground and you growing right. until until the day you get your arms cut off by the the lumber guy, mm-hmm. you know. And and what you'll find is that as people you know start to go through this growth pattern with this tree and seeing the forest grow go up around them, they start feeling like the tree and they start empathizing with the tree. And when their arms get cut off from these lumberjacks, they actually start to cry. Yeah, right? they feel and, the pain, and, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 this experience actually adds in haptics so that you you feel you know kind of uh rumbling on your arm as it's being cut off right. and, that's <laughs> and, scary. and you feel you feel like sprinkles of water as the rain comes and other things so so it's it's it takes a lot of this other other elements that really brings the immersion to a different level but when that happens i mean it makes everybody care about saving the trees and the forests right so that's you know that's the kind of empathy when you can start making people empathize with plants uh, that you know that thing is is powerful <laughs> yeah and i i honestly don't think that that's a stretch it's not a it's not a sort of psychological stretch for me to consider that if you think about other sort of virtual reality experiences that people have and you know the ways that sometimes people play with their brains they sit in the middle of the forest and they do say that they can feel like the roots growing and the water going through the you know, the veins of the trees and the plants. And, you know, simulating that through VR, I think, is really interesting as well. Yeah, you're sounding like the uh, Avatar, the movie. (laughs) Yeah, I was not referencing Avatar, to be fair. Um, But thank you for making it sound like that. I really appreciate it. Um, So can we just talk back into sort of our own reality, right? So you say you're going to make or announce another 20 or 30 more investments in these five cities, you know, based on this accelerator that you guys run. I know it's a really generic question to a certain extent, but what exactly are you looking for? Like, I can think of tons of opportunities. I live in Bangkok, right? And I can think of a lot of opportunities in Southeast Asia to use virtual reality for education. There are a lot of startups here that are very focused on education for children, obviously, starting early and moving up into adulthood. But what are you looking for when you're thinking about investing out of the accelerator into companies, if you can be slightly specific? Sure. Uh, I mean, essentially what we do is we have a, a list of, of target problems that we're trying to solve, 
right? And whether it's helping make the devices easier to use, helping it, uh, you know, creating content that we think is missing, whether it's multiplayer, whether it's mobile VR, or whether it's AR, or whether it's you know AI to create content. Right. You know, all, there's there's going to be specific things that we want to address. You know, haptics, eye control. Uh, you know. Uh, BCI. There's just so many things that we, we, we would have a list on and we say, okay, we want to target companies that can solve these problems. Because ultimately, if, if we can solve the biggest problems that are keeping uh, the technology today from being more easily adopted by the masses, right. um, then it's going to be you know, winners on them on their own, but it's also going to help the entire industry grow. Right? That That's kind of our, our general uh, thesis in terms of what we invest in. So, uh, you know, some of the stuff we invest in may or may not be something that, uh, you know, only helps Vive, right? Only helps, Absolutely. You know, uh, yeah. So, so that, you know, I think very, actually almost none of the companies that we invest in, we don't, we don't really make them give us an exclusivity clause where if we invest, you only make our product. Right. In fact, you you some, wouldn't do that will, though. You wouldn't do it. Yeah. We, we wouldn't because, you know, especially early stage and early in this uh, industry where the size of the market isn't big enough. If you do that, you essentially are condemning your Damn, investors to, failure. to die. To failure. Yep. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, in fact, just recently to the computer and uh, to use a, a 60 gigahertz uh, wireless network, they just announced at the OC, OC4 a couple weeks ago that they're going to make a version for Oculus and for Microsoft. Right. So, you know, hey, you know, that's great for them and it's, it's good for Oculus and it's good for the users of Oculus. Right. So, yeah. And that's okay, right? It's one of these things where as long as the entire market expands, you guys should be just as happy as if it didn't expand, yeah, right? Because absolutely. it helps everybody. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think as, as the market leader, it's, it's our role to actually help the market expand. And it's our role to to help you know put in some of these R&D dollars and investments that other people can't afford to do. Yeah, right? it's, a, so, it's, a good, it's, a good, it's a good thesis. It's a good concept actually to enact that way because otherwise you'll miss things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 this actually also gives us you know reach. I mean, we we get thousands of applications for each one of our batches, and right, and, right. and now I I know exactly what's you know on the roadmap of all these technology companies for the next several years, and uh, also what's in our own roadmap and what's in you know a lot of our industry's roadmap, and so it, it gives us you know kind of a view and a vision of what's coming, right. and that allows us to make better decisions, right? And and also because these guys are in our industry, we can actually help them. Right. That that's the other part that, that I think is both valuable for us and them is that you know when we invest we know that you know we we're only going to invest in companies that we think we can help right right so that way if we, if we know we can help you we're going to help make more value for you we're going to help you and you know make sure you get your next round and then we'll probably help you get to market and get some of your initial customers um, that's that's great for everybody it is really great for everybody look I think there's a lot more to cover here. But I don't want to take up much more of your time, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to cover a couple of things offline in a second if that's sure, okay with you. Sure. So I really just want to thank you for taking the time to do this, particularly with all the things you're involved in. Getting your perspective on just a multi- multitude of views on this market has been really interesting for me, and I think it'll be really interesting for our listeners as well. So, Alvin, no, no problem. Thank you My so pleasure. Much. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to be here. We can chat again sometime uh, when uh, maybe uh, you have more questions. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you again. All right. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.